I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. You have got a dream to write a book and you don't know how to take the first step because it feels like an enormous leap into a very scary void filled with fear, hard work, and negativity and rejection. But on the other side is this dream that you've had, this idea that's germinating, this book that's inside of you, and how do you get there? In this episode of the Second Shift Podcast, another two-parter, we talk with Jen Marshall, who is a longtime publicist turned agent, and she talks a lot about the macro, the industry, the difference between fiction, not fiction, prescriptive books, how to go from idea, what publishers and agents are looking for, the type of platform that's needed to go through the traditional agent world, and what pitches look like that she's interested in, why you, why is this a fresh idea, and what makes it stand out. So she thinks about it and talks about it from her idea as an agent, getting queries and people reaching out to her, how she finds new authors and what she's particularly looking for and how the industry works. Then we talk to Fran Hauser, who is an author. She's actually been on the Second Shift podcast before with her book, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career. And she started a company called Bookbound, where she offers coaching and aspiring author workshops. She talks about marketing. And it's a little bit of like a boot camp you can put yourself through. It's not a huge lift time-wise or monetarily if you have an idea how to germinate it, execute it, and to finish and have a book at the end. And we talk a lot about the different publishing models whether it's the traditional agent publisher, a hybrid partnership, or self-publishing, the cost and the involvement and how they work, and a lot more about the mentality as a writer. And she's a little bit of like a book therapist. So how you get through some of the blocks and get your idea out there in the best and most effective way. So if you've ever had an idea that writing a book is a dream or something that you want to do for your business, this is the episode for you. It feels like everybody thinks they should write a book. And maybe they should. Maybe there's like, you know, a huge temperament for writers right now. And there's so many different ways in which people can self-publish and sell books on different platforms. It feels democratized in a certain way, but then I also think it's good to set expectations on what that actually means and the different ways in which if a person goes from, I think I should write a book to that being a living, breathing thing. And there's an entire industry and you are an expert in that industry. So you've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Roughly 30 years at this point. I started as a career. It's a career and it's the only career I've ever wanted. So And what do you look for when you're 
looking at proposals at, for an author or just even for like a subject matter? Okay. Okay. That's a big question. Um, so yeah. you're what I look for when I am signing a writer as an agent, that's a broad question. I'm a literary agent that primarily focuses on narrative nonfiction. Um, many of my clients are journalists already at the top of their field. So that's one type of writer that I represent. But I also look for people who are either thought leaders in their industry. So they might not be professional writers, but they might be an expert. Like one of my authors is a leading child psychologist. So I look for somebody with incredible expertise, but also a national platform. That's something I look for. Or I look for incredibly interesting people who have done something that's astonishing where people will want to hear their stories, like Chris Smalls, the president of the Amazon Labor Union. He's one of my clients. He is not a professional writer, but he is one of the most exciting and inspiring voices in the modern labor movement. So that's something that I look for. And I think I can speak for a lot of agents when I say that. We're looking for professional writers, experts with a national platform, or you know, people who have just done something astonishing where there's a clear story to tell. So that's for nonfiction. For fiction, which I also represent, but I don't have as large of a list there. Um, it's something that you know you really need to build over time, but I love fiction. I am looking for beautiful writing. I am looking for a hook that you just can't stop thinking about. And I am looking for a book that makes you want to finish it. You know, so many books don't make me feel that way. <laughs> Which, I'm sorry to say, um, but but that's what I'm looking for when I am looking through my queries and my referrals. Really looking for something that I just feel absolutely needs to be out in the world. What percentage of the books that you take come from inbound queries versus mm-hmm. a referral or word of mouth or somebody that you've sought out? So that's really different for every agent. And I never want writers to get discouraged because, you know, there are writers out there who are not connected to the literary world and may not have, you know, all these obvious ins, but that doesn't mean they're not writing an amazing book. So I don't want them to hear what I'm going to say about my list and think, oh no, I'm never going to get an agent because that's not the case. You know, every agent kind of works their business a little bit differently. And I have some agent friends like Michelle Brower, for example, she's a fiction agent who founded an agency called Trellis. She's amazing. And she has writers that just come to her through her query, you know, inbox, Colt. Other writers come to her by referral and that's how she built her business. For me, the vast majority of my clients come from referrals. And that is because before I was an agent, I was a book publicist and I got to know so many incredible journalists that way. And so, you know, we, I already had these. Oh, you cornered the market from that perspective. Interesting. I get it. Very clever, Jen. Yeah. That's, I don't know if anyone's going to say being a book publicist for that many years is the clever way of going about this. But so that's how I do it. But that doesn't mean I'm not open to queries. I am. I'm just not open all year round because the reality is I don't have time to read them all. But I do open up to queries a couple times a year and I welcome them. I love them. That's really interesting. Okay, let's go back for a second Mm -hmm. 
to the book proposal for anyone coming in just blind and has this dream of writing a book. There's a lot online. You can go read about how to write a book proposal and all of that. But are there any specific tips that you think make something stand out or where you you've seen in the past where you've thought like that was really clever? Yeah. You know, so book proposals are a whole big topic. And um, so I even want to back up and say, if somebody wants to write a book, that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to write a book proposal. Okay. Interesting. I did not know this. (laughs) So book proposals are for nonfiction books. So the vast majority of nonfiction books are sold by agents, you know, to editors using a book proposal. And that's talking about, you know, kind of the agented world, the world of traditional publishing going with, you know, like a big five publisher or like one of the amazing, you know, indies out there like Bloomsbury or Norton, you know, when they buy a nonfiction project from an agent like me, you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to be based on a proposal. But there is also that big, self-publishing world that you mentioned. And I don't want to sneeze at that because that really has opened up a whole world for authors and a proposal is not always needed there for nonfiction. But if you're thinking about the more traditional path for selling a big nonfiction project, you do need a proposal. And what a proposal is, is it really clearly sells the idea and the dream of the book to the editor. It shows the book editor that you, the author, you really know what this book is. You've done a lot of thought about it and you're sure that you can write it. You have nailed down all your sources. If it's like a really research heavy book, if you have to interview a lot of people in order to do this book, you also have a list of those people who either have already agreed to talk to you, or you know that you have a really good chance of that happening. It often has a like a sample chapter in it too. So you can show the editor that not only can I write a great description of this book, but I can write a chapter. Those are two different things. Writing a chapter that has a beautiful beginning, middle and end, not easy. So it's nice to show the editor that you can do it. A proposal also has a proposed structure of the book. So that is often well, proposals are always kind of tricky. Like they're kind of like a puzzle, but the proposed structure of the book can be the thing that makes authors want to like tear out their hair because you're really like coming up with this helicopter view of your book, but it's a puzzle and you have to put it all together and make it read over the course of, you know, 10 pages. Like this is what chapter one is going to do. This is what chapter two is going to do. It has to all make sense. And so Book proposals are anywhere from 10 pages and some authors watching this are probably like, what? (laughs) Because more often they're, you know, between 30 pages and sometimes 60 or more pages. So it's an incredible amount of work. But what I always say to my clients is that the more work that we do together on this proposal, the more thinking that we do about this book, the easier it's going to be when it comes to sit down and write it. You're going to be so glad that you did this thinking. But also when we bring this proposal, which is very high level, out to editors, you're going to have conversations with those editors that are much more substantive. And you have a much better chance of finding out 
is this editor on the same page as me with this book? Are we aligned? Whereas if you just, you know, say, say you're a famous person and every editor in town wants to work with you. So you don't really need a proposal. Maybe you've written like a four page thing that I always say includes macaroni glued to a plate, but (laughs) it really doesn't. Um, But like maybe it's four pages about how awesome you are and not so much about what your book is going to be. That can work out. It does work out. Editors are, you know, incredibly gifted and skilled at making that work out. But you run the risk of, I haven't really thought about my book, but I sold it. You run the risk of down the road, not being aligned with your editor. So I always say, do the work up front. Everyone's happier later. I think that's a good lesson in all of life. Uh, The more prepared you are, the better off it is for everything else that is coming down the line. And also then you can use that information in the book. So you've done a lot of the legwork already. So you're not starting from scratch. I would think would be a relief. It is a relief. And, you know, and then in the rare instance where you've got a book proposal that, you know, for whatever reason doesn't sell, you know, you've quote unquote only written a proposal. You haven't written this whole book, which is going to take you at least a year to do. You know, you want to find out if there's no market for this right away. Speaking about markets, I have two friends who have books out just right now in the next six months, and they're very Uh exciting. And they're both in the parenting world, but Mm -hmm. from very different perspectives. And so some they were breaking down for me how hard certain sections of the book publishing world are. So like if you're in self-help, it's a much harder world to be in because it's so much more competitive to like crack the list and make money off of that book versus being in like the parenting space or something, you know, I, I'm, I'm butchering this, but I'm just wondering for you, when you think about this, if a person's coming in blind, are there areas where it's like congested, there's areas where there's white space, it's easier to make a name for yourself and, and have success. Yeah. So I, I hear what you're talking about. Like you're, you're, thinking about like which parts of the marketplace. Is it easier to send, to write a business book than a fiction book? I I don't know. You know, what are the areas (laughs) where you feel like there's. It really depends. One of the co-founders of ACM is a really brilliant agent. His name is David Kuhn. And when I first joined the agency, after being a book publicist for a long time, you know, I had some deep instincts about what is really, you know, going to be you know, fizzy in the marketplace. And he brought experience to that. And what he said is, well, here's, you know, a great way to think about it. You know, you have the idea, you know, and you want to think like, how fresh is this idea? Are there already 10 books out there about this very specific thing? Well, if they are, then, you know, you really need to like take it up like a level because it has to stand out. Or does it feel like, this is something truly new in the marketplace. So there's that, the quality of the idea. You want to think like, how good is this idea? Then the second thing, and this is equally important, is how you know qualified are you to write this book? Like, are you the person that should be writing this book? Like, for example, say, you know, I took up running and I finished my first marathon and I got very excited about it and felt like I should write a book telling everyone how to do this. Should I, Jen Marshall, do that? No. <laughs> no. I've, I've run one marathon. 
I don't have a running blog. Nobody's seen me do it on social media. Nobody cares what I have to say about running. So I might have this great idea for a running book, but I'm not an expert. So there's a mismatch there. But say we, you know, took someone who's a professional runner and also a doctor and also has a sub stack for runners that has, you know, 100,000 subscribers. They should write a book about running, not me even though like I might feel equally passionately about writing this running book. So there's those two things. But then the third thing about evaluating your idea is execution. How well are you doing it? How good of a writer are you? And writing is a skill. It's an art. It's a craft. It's all those things, but it can be learned. And if you don't have time to learn, like say you're a celebrity and you have a message and you want to write a book, then you get a collaborator, a great writer, writer for hire that helps you. And they can help take your execution, you know, up to the level it needs to be. So it's idea, writer fit and execution. Those are the things that you want to be thinking about as you survey the marketplace. It can be a good idea to look at the bestseller list go into your bookstore, see what's working, see what's selling. But that's part of your larger process. It's not the only thing that you're going to be doing if you think, huh, I want to write a book, but it's part of it. It's interesting to think about from your point of view, having been in publicity for 20 plus years, because you can kind of look at it from the end product forward because you know how hard it's going to be to then promote this author, put them on the road, sell these books, get them press. And so it's actually better to start from that point of view if you're looking at authors and book proposals because you know, okay, this is this is just never going to be a set. Like I'm never going to be able to sell this thing. Or this is a great storyline so I can package this whole thing together and this right. is going to wind up being a success. So it's actually... Again, going back to being your clever career path, very smart. Have you to transition from publicity into being an agent? I would think it's a huge benefit for you and for your authors. It is. It's a great path to go from being a book publicist to an agent. And that's something that I do want to say about agenting to all the writers out there, because I think it's an important thing to know that it's an agent's job to evaluate the market potential for a book you know, the market value to help an author maximize that. It's never an agent's job to determine the artistic value. And that's something that I say to writers all the time. And I think it's really important because no matter what kind of book you're writing, it's brave to do it. It's hard to put your work out there. It doesn't matter if it's a how-to book where you're the expert, or if it's this like beautiful literary novel, you're vulnerable in putting yourself out there. And so Anyone listening to this who's querying agents and like getting tons of rejections, which is, you know, normal, although you'll hear these stories like, oh, I queried one agent and, you know, got an agent and then got a, you know, six figure book deal in a month. Okay. Well, you know, that's a once in a blue moon thing. That's actually never happened. (laughs) Maybe it should, but yeah, we are looking at market value. That's our job. That is our job. It is not our job to tell you if a book is actually you know, good in an artistic way. That's, I think, up to the writer to to decide. That's so great. And for anyone who is thinking about or has this burning desire to write a book and Mm -hmm. they're worried that it's already been said, 
Oh, there's, you know, there's too many books in this space. Why bother? Mm -hmm. Is there any words of advice or wisdom that you have only because I I do find that oftentimes women specifically, which is what we talked to with the second shift can cut themselves down before they've even started. You know, that is, I think a really important thing to talk about. And I don't know, like, you know, back in school, do you remember when teachers would used to say eyes on your own paper? (laughs) Do you remember that? I, I think that's really, really valuable here because as a writer, as a creator, as an expert, you know, you can only be yourself. And the most important thing for any author is doing the very best work they can, writing an actually good book. If you write something that is actually good and useful and fresh, there's going to be a market out there for it. Worried about someone else having your idea or doing the same thing is putting the cart before the horse. It really and truly is. And most of the time, I find that kind of fear and that kind of distraction to actually be a stalling tactic for sitting down and writing. It's what it is. Um, you know, not in every instance, but most of the time, that's what it is because, you know, it can feel like the ultimate luxury saying, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to give myself two hours a day, or I'm going to take a writer's retreat that, you know, it's going to cost me money and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this thing. I don't know if I'm ever going to sell it. I don't know if I'm even going to finish it. I don't know if it's good. So, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that we come up with stalling tactics, things to worry about, like reasons why I shouldn't do that. And, you know, you really do just need to do it. On that note, thank you. (laughs) I think you really gave a huge amount of information and also a pep talk for those who feel like they're done sitting on the sidelines. So I really appreciate your expertise and your advice and your time. Can I say one last thing of that I course. recommend to folks? There's this book here. I don't know her, but I think this book is great. It's Courtney Mom. It's called Before and After the Book Deal, A Writer's Guide to Finishing, Publishing, Promoting, and Surviving Your First Book. And I think she has great advice and she's got a sub stack. I think the sub stack is called the same thing. And everything that I've read by her is really wise and it's really on target. And she's not afraid to say it like it is. So I recommend getting that book for folks who want to go a little deeper into how to do this. I love it. Thank you. I'm going to get the book. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Fran, I want you to know that you have the honor, the distinction of at this point being the first guest who is a repeat guest on the Second Shift podcast. So hi and hi. yay. That means so much. Oh my gosh. I love hearing that. Thank you. you. So thank you for, for being back. And the last time you were here talking to me, we were talking about your book, which was Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, which was a huge hit. And I love that book and I've actually gifted it to lots of people. And now we're back talking about how you write a book and you've written two and you have a company called Bookbound where you help other people write books and come up with ideas and keep them on track. So in your very, very knowledgeable hands, what are the things that really hold people back from pursuing the dream of writing a book? 
Oh gosh. Well, it can be a really scary thing because especially with nonfiction, you really have to be vulnerable. And I'll never forget when I was working on my first book on the myth of the nice girl. And I submitted my first chapter to my editor at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. And he, he said to me, he said, Fran, you're doing a great job in this chapter of sharing research and sharing other women's stories and sharing lists, but we need to hear your stories. We need to hear your failures. This is where like, if you really want the book to be relatable, you need to talk about the things in your career that you struggled with, the things that didn't quite go as planned. And that's a scary thing, right? Because you're basically putting yourself out there. You're hoping that this message lands with people. You know, like I remember the night before The Myth of the Nice Girl came out, I was having a little bit of a panic attack because all the other books that were out there, like if you went into a bookstore and you went to the women in business table, a lot of those books were promoting a much more masculine form of leadership, right? And my book was all about, no, you can be nice and make it to the corner office, right? You can be nice and you can be strong. The book was really embracing more feminine qualities like compassion and empathy and kindness. And I just remember having this moment the night before, like, oh my gosh, is this book really going to land? Is it going to resonate with readers? So I think that's one of the biggest things that holds people back is just, you know, finding the courage to do it, number one. And number two, it's a lot of work, you know, it's, it's a big commitment and it's a lot of writing and rewriting And if you work with a publisher, being open to feedback and editing, and, you know, it's a very long process. If you work with a traditional publisher, it's years. So those are the two biggest things I would say. It's courage and commitment. The hubris in some ways of saying, I have something to say, and I think it's important. And I'm going to get over all of the fears that I might have and assume that people want to read this thing because then you have no idea if you've done all that work that anyone's even going to read it and just have the courage of your convictions to be able to move forward and know that regardless of what happens, you had to write this book. You had to go through this process. Yeah. And it is really important to kind of lean into that expertise, you know, really believing that you're an expert in whatever the topic is you're an expert, you have wisdom and that your words can really be helpful to someone, you know? And I I think in a way it's, you know, as the other hat that I wear as a startup investor. And when I'm meeting with founders and thinking about, you know, whether I'm going to invest in their businesses, a lot of it is like, is there a real pain point that their product is solving for, right? That's one of the biggest things that I, I look for in a founder it's very similar with nonfiction, right? Especially with these prescriptive how-to books. Like, is there a pain point? Is there a big enough market for this, right? Are there enough people that are struggling that you're going to be able to help? So I think that's also a really big part of it. So where do you start? You have an idea and you are sitting there stewing on it for a long time but it's hard to take the first step because it also, it's a huge industry and there's so much rejection that comes along with it. Or I don't know, it feels like, well, I don't even know how to do this thing. So if somebody has an idea, how do you execute at it? How do you take that first step? Mm -hmm. 
I think a great first step is socializing the idea, like just writing a smaller piece about it, whether it's a blog post or a social media post and seeing like, does this resonate with people? Like, is there engagement? Like I wrote before the myth of the nice girl, I wrote a blog post for Forbes on this topic and it ended up being one of the most popular posts in their mentoring series. I started hearing from women all around the country that were saying to me, you know, I feel like I'm in this bind of if I'm too nice at work, I'm thought of as a pushover. And if I'm too strong, I'm thought of as a bitch. And so that was the pain point, Jenny, you know, like they basically validated my pain point, the pain point that I was trying to solve for. So I always say like, start small, just write, put it out there see if it lands. And I think that will also give you the confidence, you know, and the conviction to take it further. And that, by the way, will also help you get a publisher excited about the topic. If you can say, look, I've done a little bit of like writing about this topic and here's the engagement that I've seen. That's how I actually started my book proposal for the myth of the nice girl by talking about the reaction to that blog post. It's market validation, right? So I think that's a really great place to start. That's great advice, actually. I get that. That makes sense. It's tactical. Like, you know how sometimes it's just really hard to start. It's like you don't know where to start. And I think that's just like a really practical thing that you can do. Again, that will give you the confidence that there's a really strong, compelling idea there And that will also help you sell it in to a publisher if that's the path that you want to go down, because there are different publishing paths. There are so many different ways to get your book published today. Okay. Hold on that because I want to come back to that in one second, because I just want to go back to Bookbound, because you have a really cool company that you started to help other women, men to take an idea and to workshop it through the idea. And then there's a second course about marketing and you also do coaching. So just like go through the things that if you don't feel that it's possible to do something on your own and you need help, how you help people to do it. Yeah. So, well, and you summarized the services kind of, kind of perfectly, you know, the, the first program that I have is for people who have an idea for a book and they don't know where to get started and they need help getting started and they need help figuring out what the right path is for them. Should they go traditional? Should they self-publish? Should they work with a hybrid publisher? And we can talk about all of these things in a little bit, but really helping them figure out their path and putting together a roadmap for them. So that's one thing that I do. And I, I actually, I can do that one-on-one, but I love doing those in group sessions And I have an in-person workshop that I'm doing just outside of New York City in October. I love the idea of bringing aspiring authors together and having them meet each other and maybe even become accountability partners for each other, like as they go through the process. That's one way that I'm helpful. What you do that's cool is, you know, there's all these writers retreats, things like that, but those are like, you have to apply in and they're multi-day. This is a few hours upstate New York. It's a few hundred dollars and it's a great way to just start. It's an investment of time and energy that doesn't have to feel like a major commitment of your life. It's just something where you can just take the first teeny step in. And I like that because some of the other things that are out there are just, they feel like 
this huge commitment. And then what if you don't do it? What if you don't like it? Yeah, it's very true. And I, I almost feel like those other things that are out there are great programs to graduate into once you go through this three-hour workshop, because you'll leave the workshop with a much stronger sense of, is this a book? Is this really a book? And if it is, okay, how do I make it happen? Like, what are the three or four next steps that I'm going to take? And as part of that too, I love opening up my network to people. And I've done that with a lot of aspiring authors that I've worked with, where I've connected them with agents or hybrid publishers or self-publishing services. So that's the other, I would say, kind of value that I, I really love to create for people is why not? You know, it's like a win-win to be able to connect people. So then to touch on that subject, since we're talking about it, let's talk about the different routes, right? There's the agent world where you go and you send queries in and you get an agent like Jen Marshall that I was talking to earlier and an agent then makes a deal with a publisher on your behalf. But there are other routes that are less traditional and you have more control. Yes, right. Because that route, you know, if you think about traditional publishing, they typically take less than 1% of book proposals that they see. So it's highly competitive and it's why they work with agents. Agents are basically gatekeepers, right? Like they're vetting. Agents are vetting a lot of authors and a lot of book ideas, and then they're submitting the best ones to publishers. And it's, look, it's a great route if you have established credibility if you're you know, a thought leader and you have the platform, because those traditional publishers really like to see authors that have a big platform that are really going to go all in when it comes to promoting the book. But there are other options. You know, Hybrid publishing has really bubbled up, I would say, over the last like 10 years. And hybrid publishing is more of a partnership publishing model where you're both investing in the book. The publisher and the author are both investing financially into the book, the author ends up owning the intellectual property rights for all of the assets in the book, and you split royalties 50-50. So it really is more of like in the business world, you think of like a joint venture, you know, it's more like that. Whereas with traditional publishing, you get an advance up front, and then you get a very small percentage of royalties, like 5%. It's not 50%, right? But hybrid publishing as an author, it's a bigger financial risk because you're putting money into it. You're covering the cost of getting the book produced and printed, but you're getting a gorgeous book because you're working with a publisher who has incredible resources, editors, designers, copy editors, right? All these people that you're going to get a gorgeous book. You're going to get 50% of the royalties, which is great, but you're going to make a financial investment upfront. And hybrid publishers Look, they're also competitive, but they tend to take like five to 10% of the proposals that they see. So you're just more likely to get a deal with a hybrid publisher than with a traditional publisher. Does that make sense? It can get Yeah, no, it does. And how much would you say it actually costs on average to publish a book with a hybrid publisher? What type of investment are you looking at? Yeah, the upfront cost could be, you know, really anywhere from 20 to $40,000 and then you're paying for the print run, you know, which usually is like $3 per book. So it's a sizable investment. And it's interesting to see that what I've seen is most of the people 
that go the hybrid route are entrepreneurs. They're already used to investing in their businesses. And so this is another investment for them. And the book is usually a calling card to drive another revenue stream. Like they might have a speaking practice or they might have like online courses where the plan is, yes, they'd like to at least break even on the book. You know, maybe you make a little bit of profit on the book, but it's more about the other revenue streams that the book will drive. As a marketing tool. As it's a marketing, a marketing tool. tool. So it's, yeah. it's coming up, it's keeping the ecosystem going and like the content wheel, because it's true. Cause then you can use the book as a way to promote and it's content and you get, you know, all yeah. the earned media off of it that you're going to get. So it's an investment into a bigger, it's an investment of, of money, but it's a huge investment of time yes. to create something that will hopefully then be yes. beneficial to the other aspects of your business. And I, and I totally get the benefit of that as a model. I get that. There's also validation that comes with like, I'm an author. I wrote a book. Yes. It's in the Hudson news yeah. or something. And I worked with a publisher, right? Like I worked with a yeah. publisher. So it's interesting. My first book was traditionally published, The Myth of the Nice Girl. My second book, Embrace the Work, Love Your Career. I worked with a hybrid publisher. And the reason I did that this is another reason to go hybrid is time to market was really important for me because that book, if you remember, the idea came to me during the pandemic when I was reading about the 14 million women that had left the workforce. And I wanted to create a guided workbook for them that would be helpful. And I wanted it out in a year. I knew that if I went the traditional publishing route to go through my agent, to write the book proposal, to pitch it, it's a three-year process with traditional. So I got connected to the collective book studio. Angela Engel is the founder and CEO. And I called her and I just said, Angela, I have this idea for this book. Could we get it out in a year? Granted, I haven't started writing it yet. So like it's, you know, I haven't started. So she said, if you can write it in six weeks, we can get it out in a year. And I did. I wrote it in six weeks. We were able to get it out in a year. And now here's the other thing. I had heard really great things about Angela. I had a friend of mine who published her book with her. So I didn't have to spend a lot of time up front doing due diligence, you know, like I really respected her. And so that made it easier. But time to market is another reason to think about, you know, when you're deciding which publishing path to go down. And is it important to you to own the IP? With traditional publishing, you don't. With hybrid, you do. So all of the assets, all the illustrations in Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, I was able to take those and create merch. I was able to like do like a really cute tote bag, you know, where I use like one of the pieces of art from the book. Again, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And again, it works to own your IP if you are a business that's going to use this for different revenue stream models yeah. and businesses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Interesting. And what about self-publishing? So self-publishing is a really great option for people that they may not have the platform, right? They may not have the, the author platform that traditional publishers are looking for. Maybe the book is a legacy item for them. Maybe it's a bucket list item. It's just like something that they really want to put out into the world. And frankly, they want like full creative control. They don't want to be dealing with a publisher who's asking them 
to make changes and to, you know, edit things and to maybe move in a different direction. And they want to be able to figure out the title on their own and the cover. And it's something that they want to have full control of. They want to own the IP, you know, and, or they know that it's going to be a really tough path to try to sell the book into a publisher, either traditional or hybrid. So Self-publishing is a great option and it's not as expensive as hybrid. You know, you can self-publish a book for about $10,000 and that includes getting, you know, someone to create a beautiful cover, someone to lay out the book, you know, the interior of the book, to copy edit the book. There are self-publishing services that you can use that will do all of that for you, like full stop. There's one client that I'm working with right now where I think the biggest barrier to self-publishing is accountability because you have nobody staying on top of you, right? Whereas when you work with a publisher, you've got the timeline, you've got the deliverables. So there's one woman that I'm working with right now where I'm basically acting as executive producer for her, you know? And I'm basically just saying like, okay, here's our project plan. I'm like checking in with her. I pulled in the right resources for her that she needed, a designer, a copy editor. So I will do that like every once in a while. It's not something that, is super scalable for me, but if it's a project that I really care about and, you know, something that I really want to see out in the world, I'll take that on. As somebody who works with authors, wannabe authors who are at all different phases in this process, what would you say is the through line that you hear from people from the before, middle and after? Like emotionally, psychologically, what are the commonalities that you hear from people along the process? Yeah. I mean, look, I definitely hear when the doubt starts creeping in, I'll hear things like, who am I to write a book? Like, what am I thinking? You know, like when they start, they start to doubt themselves and it happens throughout the process because it's a very messy process. I'm actually working on a book proposal for my next book with my agent. Of course you are. Of course I am. And let me tell you, I am in the thick of it in terms of the structure of the book. It's just very messy for me. And I'm having a really hard time with the table of contents. And I'm really wondering, like, do I have enough content? And so no matter what phase you're in, you always get to these moments where you start doubting yourself and you have to take a big step back and like, go back to your why, like, why are you putting this book out into the world and find that confidence many moments where you have to like refine that confidence. So that's like, definitely, definitely a through line that I hear. And then I would say the other through line that I hear is really around their like writing, like the actual, like writing process, like not just writer's block, but like trying to figure out a cadence for themselves that works. So I do end up spending a lot of time with authors, helping them figure out like what time of day is the best time to write. Is there like a great setting that's right for you? Like when I was working on Embrace the Work, Love Your Career, the only way that I could get that book written was if I got up at 5.30 in the morning and I wrote it for two hours before the kids got up. I just had a cup of coffee and I wrote, I have a friend of mine who loves writing in the library. She loves like just being surrounded by books, you know? So it's like finding that, like, what is that right setting for you in the right time of day where you can make a commitment to like write every single day? 
you know? And so that's the other through line is kind of working through that. You're like a book therapist. I am a book therapist, a book <laughs> therapist, a book whisperer, a book, yeah. a book all of it. Yeah. I, love God. It. <laughs> I think it's great. And I really appreciate your time so much. I think that helping people transform an idea into a book is really a remarkable path to help people who have an idea and get stuck. People get stuck. You get stuck in your head. There are so many different points in which self-confidence gets into play. You know, fear gets in the way, ego gets in the way. So helping people through that is a fantastic endeavor. And so if anybody is listening who has the dream, the desire, and needs a little push or a little help, Book Bound is the company. And I'll, I'll put it in all the, the notes for the episode as well. And I really appreciate your time doing this and helping me spread the word about how important it is for people to take that leap if you have that dream. Jenny, thank you. I always love chatting with you and always thank you for your your support. You know, I feel like, like one of those women who just really walks the talk and I'm so grateful for you. Well, I, I will probably use your services at some point because I am Great. a person who, as I'm saying all these things, I'm like, I say that all the time to myself. Yes. You know, I've oh, said it to God. myself in every phase until I wind up doing the thing. And then you're like, oh, why did I think that? I would love, I totally see a book for you. I totally see it. It's like so clear to me. So I can't wait to help you bring life. And the minute you said that, I'm like, oh, I don't, there's nothing to say. See, I, you know, it's true. It's the through line. So this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. So we'll keep it going off air. I love it. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 